0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am thrilled you are here today. And if you can hear it in my voice, I am just so excited. It is Friday, and it is we are heading into a long weekend, and I couldn't be more excited. This is such a great weekend, not only because it's a long weekend, but my little baby girl, is graduating from high school tomorrow and you know with everything going on with COVID and how crazy the last year and a half has been while it's not going to be as big of an event as it normally would be pre-COVID I'm really excited because and I feel very blessed and I know she does too that her class is going to be able to have an in-person graduation each student is only limited to two people, so you know, our whole family can't be there, but I'm just excited she gets to walk in her cap and gown tomorrow and go through the whole ceremony and I'm I'm just thrilled for her, super excited. And I know I mentioned that she was trying to choose between a couple of different colleges and I would let you know what ended up happening. Well, I am proud to say she is off to Stanford. So Heading off to Stanford in the fall. I could not be more proud of her. And I also had just a great interview with my next guest, Alice Shakina. Oh my gosh. I, you have to stay for the whole interview because literally she gives so many tips and tricks and great stories about the topic of negotiation. And I have found. In my own personal experience, which I which I share a little bit about this on the show, but also with my coaching clients, negotiation is something that people, especially women, tend to shy away from. We don't like it. To us, it feels like conflict. It feels uncomfortable. We get the little tummy tingles. We're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Maybe a little anxious, little sweaty palms. And so a lot of times we just avoid it because we just don't want to do it. But Alice is going to share with you how you can make negotiation fun. So let me formally introduce Alice. Alice Shakina is a mediator. She is a badass negotiator. She's an author. She's also an international speaker. And she's also a mom of teenagers. So I can't wait for you to dive into this episode. Alice not only has just great energy... Like I said, she just delivers so much valuable insight into this episode. So if you know that you deserve a pay increase at work, but you're not quite sure how to position it, got to listen to the episode because Alice will teach you a trick on how to set up that conversation. Or if you're heading to a family dinner or a conversation with your teenager where you need to negotiate, or if you're headed into a potentially heated conversation about a polarizing topic like vaccinations or politics with friends, colleagues, family, whomever, Alice gives you some really great tools to help guide you through that conversation. And here's the bottom line. I talk a lot about women advocating for themselves on this show. Negotiation is an actual way That you can advocate for yourself. It's a tool in your tool belt. So I invite you to listen to this episode and really think about one or two ways in the next week or two that you will advocate for yourself through the negotiation process. Maybe it's something as simple as calling your cell phone provider and negotiating a new plan for yourself. Or maybe it's negotiating with your kids to help out folding some laundry or putting dishes away. Whatever it is, as Alice says in the episode, you got to practice before you really need this skill. So, the coolest part about it is Alice has been really generous and has offered all of my listeners, that's you, the opportunity to go through and attend one of her negotiation workshops. So, all you need to do is contact her um, via email and let her know that you are giving her the promo code Lead Your Life and you can attend as her VIP guest. So let's dive into my conversation with the one and only Alice Shakina. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real, honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Alice, I have been looking so forward to this conversation. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And I would love for you just to start off by just having you share a little bit about yourself and your career history.
1: Thanks for having me, Natalie. I'm really excited to be here as well. So the feeling is mutual. Um, I am a mediator and negotiator. And so I do a couple different things. I help people when they have conflicts, uh, people who are divorcing, as well as people who are in litigation but I also help entrepreneurs with their negotiation skills. So I'm very excited to be here to share more information about that.
0: Yes. Well, one of the reasons why we got connected is because I saw you speak. I went to one of your workshops and I thought you did such a great job and I am super passionate about negotiations specifically for women. Most of my listeners, not all, but most of my listeners are are women and I find that this is a specific area where women need some support and some help. And so when I heard you speak, I reached out to you immediately and was like, I have to have Alice on the show because you gave so many great tips and tricks and you you were so educational. And so, like I said, I'm just so happy that you're you're here today. And I know my audience is going to love our conversation. So how did you become an expert in negotiation? And um, I also know you teach classes. So why are you so passionate about the topic? So
1: I started off first mediating. And then in mediation, you're basically watching people negotiate. And you're also the mediator helping do the problem solving. So a lot of times there are um, solutions that people don't see because they're really looking at the problem from a microscopic point of view. And I feel like I'm looking at it from a telescopic point of view. And so then I'm able to help them through that. So, you know, I started learning about negotiation skills through mediation. And then I went ahead and through Coursera, took a negotiation class through Harvard, took another one at University of Michigan, and then took several other private negotiation classes. So I've been training myself. And yes, you're right. Currently, I do teach a negotiation course that's eight weeks long. And it really helps people because what we do is we get to practice. And negotiation Mm -hmm. is really about practicing right you can't get better at negotiating if you're not practicing and so the issue is that a lot of people wait until that really important negotiation shows up and then they <laughs> think oh my gosh like what do I do what do I do but it's like waiting for the day of the marathon to start thinking about training
0: <laughs> so. I think that's a great analogy yes and that's exactly and I will share my personal story I don't I don't even think I shared this story with you when we had our conversation. That's exactly what happened to me is first of all I should have should have taken a negotiation class much earlier in my career because I realized just from a professional point of view that I left money on the table bar none I mean I I absolutely left money on the table that I should have negotiated earlier on in my career for myself but that's exactly what happened when I um I got a new territory um I went to a different division of our company um my old corporate Position and had a new division. Sat down with a new customer, which was one of my biggest customers. I was in a room full of eight men. They completely tried to strong arm me by taking advantage of the fact that I was the new kid on the block in the territory and were basically saying that they were owed a bunch of money from the previous sales rep and that they had, you know, and they were yelling and totally intimidating me. And I literally left there pretty much in tears. I was so shaken up. And I should have prepared for that moment, you know, far in advance. I didn't. It was after the fact that I went to my boss and I said, look, I really need some negotiation skills. Like these guys are pretty tough. And I can tell that my first meeting, I did not earn their respect. And so my boss was supportive enough and sent me to a week-long negotiation training through GAP negotiation and through the GAP partnership. And I have to tell you, it was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. But after that class, oh my gosh, I felt such freedom. And I started looking at negotiation as so much fun. And my kids now, they get so irritated with me. They're like, could you quit negotiating at the grocery store, for God's sakes? Like, please stop. Like you were embarrassing us. And so if I have a friend now that like wants to go to the car dealership and negotiate, I'm like, take me. I will absolutely go because now it's fun to see what I can get. I call the cell phone company. I call the my landline company. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about r- closing my account. You would be so surprised at everything you can get. Absolutely. So that's the thing is that
1: when I'm talking to people about, you know, taking the class and come in practice, a lot of people say, oh, I don't negotiate regularly, or they might say, I don't like negotiating, so I don't want to take the class. But the thing is this, exactly what you discovered is that there's a whole world that people are ignoring in their own lives because yes. of the fact that they don't have the skills. And so it's like saying, I don't like bike riding before you've ever gotten on a bike and before you've ever learned how to ride a bicycle. And once you learn, the whole world of bike riding opens up to you and you're like, oh, I can take these wonderful and amazing bike rides, or I can even go racing. And so this is the same thing with learning the skills to negotiate. Even if you're not someone who thinks that you use it on a regular basis, you're actually missing a lot of opportunities, both personal and professionally, because you're just overlooking it and just saying, okay, to whatever's coming your way instead of negotiating so that you get more for your life, right? Your life can be enriched by all these negotiations and they can be negotiations with your children negotiations with your children's teachers negotiations with your significant other so it doesn't have to be a big contract you know that you're doing for business it can be part of your daily life and it can bring you joy
0: i love that love that love that so what is your perspective on why people dislike or shy away from negotiation And I'll add the extra caveat of why specifically do you think women shy away from negotiation?
1: So I want to like address the second part of that question first. Sure. Um, So there's been studies done. um, Linda Babcock did these. She wrote a book. It was called...
0: Women Don't Ask. I have it. I love that book. There you go.
1: So you probably are aware that when um, children are small, they have different types of chores. Girls typically get chores that are things like washing the dishes, setting the table, and things that just are not, you know, what people would normally pay for because it's part of being a family. Boys grow up getting larger chores like mowing the lawn, going and cutting shrubs. And so these are larger chores that they can charge for and they can go to their next door neighbors and say, hey, I'll mow your lawn for five bucks or 10 bucks. And so This is sort of a cultural thing that happens that people aren't really aware that it's going on, but it happens. And so by the time the kids turn 18, boys have far more experience negotiating because of the types of chores that they've been tasked to do as they're growing up, which is to say chores that they can negotiate for money. Whereas Mm -hmm. girls have not much experience at all because they're doing a lot of things around the house that don't require that negotiating for money. So then what happens is both of those people, the one guy and the one woman go out and they get their first job offer. Let's say both get a $25,000 job offer. The women, 85, 90% of them, 95% take that first offer. They say, well, I don't have any leverage to negotiate because this is my first job. Um, I even remember I was talking to a high schooler and her mother told her, you better take any offer anybody gives you because no one's going to hire you straight out of high school. So if someone does, you better not negotiate and you better just say yes. Like she literally told me this during a workshop I was giving regarding communication and negotiation. Now the man will go and negotiate, start out at 30,000 because he's negotiated. Now, you can imagine over the lifetime of their career, if they're getting raises based on a percentage, the man will get over the lifetimes, let's say 40 years, he will earn about three quarters of a million dollars more than the woman due to all the percentage raises that he's receiving year over year. So that's like an answer to your second part, right? Why is it that men and women have different comfort levels? Um, And then the first part of your question was.
0: Yeah, just in general, why why you think people kind of dislike negotiation? I think it's because
1: they don't have the actual tools and the strategies. So when I teach negotiation, and you'll love this story, I'm teaching it to my family. So we have a family call. We just had it last night. It's a one hour call. And it's just my family. So it's my sister, my brothers and my mom. And I'm teaching them the skills. And what's interesting is. They frequently get locked up into a conversation where they don't know where to turn. They say, I don't know what to say from here. I don't know where to go. Like, Uh how can I continue this conversation? I'm at a dead end.
0: And so so, can you give us an example, Alice? Like maybe, I mean, maybe not specifically from your family, but can you give us just, you know, an example of what that might look like?
1: Let's say um, people want to go get, um, they want to talk to their boss about getting a raise. This is a very common example. So they might say, hey, Natalie, I'd like to have a chat with you. And we go into a meeting and I say, look, I've been here for like a year and I'd love to talk about getting a raise. And then you might say, you know what? I can't talk about that right now. It's not going to happen. I'm really sorry, Alice. And then I think to myself, I don't know where, to, where else to go. Just shut me down. <laughs> right. And I don't know right. what to do about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in training people there's a two step process for these types the type of negotiation where you're going in to get a promotion going in to get a raise and so what i would normally advise people or coach people is to say first you want to ask for the pre negotiation meeting so i would not let you know that this is a pre negotiation meeting i would simply ask you for a meeting in this meeting i would not begin the negotiations it is a data collecting meeting. So I would ask you, Natalie, I'd love to know like how I've been doing, where can I improve? What can I do to um, help the company grow? You know, how can I utilize my strengths? What have I been doing poorly? Where have I been doing badly? So I'm collecting all this data. And then I may ask you like, what are the milestones that I have to meet in order to be promoted or in order to receive the raise? So again, collecting more data, right? And then step two would be asking for that meeting in six months or nine months or a year to say, the last time we spoke, you mentioned that I need to meet these milestones. You mentioned I need to improve on X, Y, and Z. I brought you data to show you that I've met these milestones. I've also improved these other things that you've asked me to improve. And I'd love to talk to you about you know my salary and seeing if we can increase it because I've met all these milestones that you've asked me to do. That puts you in a much more difficult place to just say, no, Alex, you have to get out of here. We can't talk about it because I'm bringing data to you, hard data. And I'm making a very strong case because I've prepared for the second meeting. So the first meeting is the preparation for the second meeting.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And I'll tell you where I misstepped in my career, um, just to kind of nuance what you're saying. I love everything you're saying. And what I would say is... Time in role for us was a really big thing in my in my last career of like you had to be in role for 24 months. And I think what you're setting up that conversation perfectly for is I saw so many of my male counterparts, you know, I was following the rules. Well, I have to be in this role for 24 months. Right. And I saw so many of my male counterparts like raising their hand at 12 months or 16 months and then getting promoted. And I was like, what the hell? Are you kidding me? And you know what? That conversation that you just set up, that first one of what are the milestones? Okay, well, here's time enroll and here's the milestones on performance. You can go back at 12 months, at 16 months and say, guess what? I've checked all the boxes. I'm ready. I've proven that I can do this. I don't think I need to be enrolled for 24 months. Like, let's move this ahead.
1: Absolutely. And also, it's really interesting to note that when there is a job posting, women typically will not apply if they don't meet every single one and men very frequently apply when they're just meeting like half.
0: I know. Yes. I know. It um, I think that was also in Linda Babcock's book too and there's also it's also in the confidence code book. They talk about men apply when they have 60% of the requirements and women wait till they've checked all the boxes and then think they need to stay longer to check extra boxes yes. just to make sure that they can prove that they're ready. Yeah. And that's just not the case. Right, right. So it's all about being
1: proactive. It's about advocating for yourself. And I think women just need to feel more confident about doing it, right? And even if they're not confident, do it anyway. Yes, yes. Advocate for yourself anyway, because men generally do that. So just follow along in their footsteps in terms of advocating for yourself, regardless of whether you feel like you deserve it or not, (laughs) just do it. And do it even when you're faced with a no. When someone says no, keep at it, keep at it. I have a good story to share for you when you're ready about keeping at the negotiations.
0: All right, let's share it. I would love to hear it.
1: So um, about this is before my negotiation days, but um, I did negotiate very hard. So a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, uh, the company I was working for as a graphic designer decided to lay everyone off in the Bay Area and rehire everyone in on the East Coast. And so because I had one client and that client was remote at that time. I thought, hey, this is a great time for me to advocate that I can be the sole person that they can hire as an employee and work from home because my client is going to be remote, whether I'm the one working with them or whether someone on the East Coast is working with them. So my argument was, you don't have to pay for office space for me. Mm -hmm. I can just work from home. So it, it will be cheaper for you that way. And the client already knows me and loves me. So there will be a seamless like transition. And the immediate new boss said, great idea, Alice. And no, thank you. I want to hire my own people. I want to hire people that I know. And since I don't know you, the answer is no. Okay. I didn't take no for an answer. So I went ahead, up, up ahead to the vice president of that same department and I pitched it. I said, don't you think that this is a great idea? And he said, yes, I think it's a great idea, but I'm going to leave it up to your boss to make this decision. I still did not give up. I went to my client and I said, wouldn't you want me to continue with you? Like, wouldn't it be great if like the whole transition happened, but I'm still your graphic designer? And they said, yes, we think that would be fantastic. So I said, please go advocate for me. And there was one more vice president in the company who saw how I worked and she thought I did great. So I went to her and I asked her, please advocate for me to stay working with this firm remotely and at home. And the woman who was in charge was very annoyed that I did this. (laughs) And she, because she felt so much pressure from three different people, she said, I will give you three months of a trial period. And you can work from home in. Uh, you know, the Bay Area, and I will be, you know, uh, supervising you from the East Coast. And she was upset. And I was also upset because I felt like three months was nothing. And so, you know, my client said, Don't worry, Alice, three months is better than nothing. And let me tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is that job lasted eight years.
0: Wow. Yep. Alice, that is a phenomenal story. I love that. <laughs> I didn't take no for an answer. I did not yep. take no for an answer. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm hoping what that's spurring in people listening is how can you get creative about the solutions you're bringing to the table? And how can you, you know, how can you not just take no for an answer? What are other opportunities to really be creative and think about what what else can I do here to make this work? Whether you're selling your services to a client all right, and they say no, whether it has to do with a job or a promotion There was a great example of this. You know, I started my career in the 90s, the early 90s. And, you know, back then, I mean, the whole male-female thing, you know, just kind of was not kosher to talk about your family or you kind of hesitated if you were going to be announcing that you were pregnant. And it was just really hard on women at that time. Like, I felt like there was so much we had to do, just kind of be like the men and not talk about being a mom and, and all of this. And it was not overtly, but, you know, you kind of always felt like there was this judgment around, like, if you're going on maternity leave, right? Like, oh, there she goes, or someone else is pregnant, right? And we didn't have any, I mean, this was far before there was any kind of job sharing or any kind of thing. And there was this woman at work, I'll never forget, I was so impressed by her because before any of that was popular, she was pregnant. She was very valuable to the company. The company loved her work. And she negotiated to come back after maternity leave part-time, which was a huge, just, it was just unheard of. But she negotiated that and she worked like 20 hours a week. Um, as a transition period after she came back from maternity leave. And she got that because she asked for it. And she negotiated and she talked about why it was not only important for her, but why it was important for the company and how it would benefit. And she came up with a solution of who was going to basically pick up the rest of her work. And she had it all arranged before she made the agreement. And I, I just remember, wow, like being blown away by what she had done. It was so innovative at the time, you know? I mean, that's basically what you get
1: with preparation, right? She prepared um, and it's it's really important to prepare that solution. So it sounds like she had a whole package of the solution and she presented mm-hmm. that solution. And so when people can see, oh, she's making some really good points, there's a lot higher chance that there will accept your solution if you like lay the whole thing out. So even when people are negotiating um, their divorces, you know, a lot of times women want to hire attorneys, not because they need legal help, but they need negotiation help. And so Mm -hmm. they're paying a lot of money to an attorney just to do the negotiations for them. And instead, they could prepare, you know, what are the two or three different packages that I'm okay with that I would like to present to my soon-to-be ex to say, here's option A, here's option B, and here's option three, right, C. And so Mm -hmm. if you think through everything that you want and also think through what the other person's. You know, wishes are and their desires are, you can be creative and come up with some kind of solution. If you show up with solutions and the other side has not prepared with any solutions, they may actually select one of the ones that you're presenting because they haven't done any preparation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, because if they show up and they're like, I don't really know either, and they're like, oh, you've got some choices for me, let me look this over. Oh, option B actually looks good. And so there's a really good chance that you're going to get what you want if you can present three options that are okay. That's the trick. You have to be okay with whichever one they choose. You can't give two or three and say, hopefully they don't choose C because I don't want them to choose C. No, it needs to be, I'm okay with them choosing A, B, or C. Then it's almost like a win-win. The other side will choose one of the options and you're okay with all of them.
0: Yeah. So I think that's great. So I love that you talk about preparation um, and maybe the other side not being prepared. What other common mistakes do you see in the negotiation process? Obviously, you have witnessed to, you know, lots of negotiation on a daily basis. So I'm curious to know what your ob- observations are.
1: One of the biggest, uh, it is a mistake, but I don't want to call it a mistake. Uh, one of the biggest things that people do is they, there's two kinds of negotiating. There's positional, um, position-based negotiations and interest-based. And so let me just explain a little bit about that. So position based is when you when you're picking your position, for example, you might say, Alice, let's take a trip, I want to go to Mexico. And I say, well, I would like to go to Ireland. These are our positions. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it's whatever you're fighting and 99% of people argue using this position based methodology you can't get very far because you're just arguing about like why yours is better than mine and i'm trying to do the same thing and in really dysfunctional cases people start to say well we should go with mine because you're stupid you don't know any better right people start to put each other down yeah. to try to win
0: i have a good solution why don't you and i just go to both <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so what most people and this takes practice so this is not something you can listen to today when i'm talking about it and think that tomorrow you can successfully implement it. it re- it's a difficult um, way to negotiate, but it's much more effective. And so interest-based is one where you start to look into why do you want, what are the reasons that you want to go to Mexico? And you might say to me, I want to go somewhere warm. Maybe you'll say, I want to go somewhere that we can go by car, even if it's far away, I don't want to fly. And, you know, you have a lot of different reasons. You might say something like, I want to go somewhere where Spanish is, you know, the, the language because I'm studying Spanish right now. Right. So I should understand what your interests are. Then I can share what my interests are. We need to find the common ground among the, our interests. Mm-hmm. And then we either end up going to one or the other or even a potential third option based on the fact that we're trying to cover both of our interests. Mm-hmm. So if I understand, oh, you don't want to fly, then I might more easily give up my trip to Europe because I'll say, well, that requires flying. So let me think, what else can I think about? Where else can we go? Where they speak Spanish and it's warm and we can drive, right? And I may try to come up with other solutions. Or I may say, well, we can go to Mexico, but can we go to this city instead of that city? Right. Or what have you, you know? Maybe I'll say, I I would like to go to the beach. Can we go to a coastal town instead of something that's inland? And so you can find solutions. When you move to interest-based negotiations, what's very interesting is we practice this and I teach this in my class and then we do a group negotiation and guess what happened? This is after like several weeks, (laughs) they moved to position-based. Like they just went to their positions and just started arguing like why they want the thing that they want. And about 30 minutes in, I just said to everybody, I want you to recognize You were all arguing based (laughs) on your position. So it is not an easy thing to switch. It is human nature to argue using the position-based model it's not effective, but people do it all the time. Even people who've been studying under me and who've been practicing, practicing, when they got to a big, complex negotiation, everyone stuck to their one position. That's so And funny. I was like, everybody needs to like start thinking about the interests of everyone else because we're not going anywhere. We're going in circles.
0: Well, so you bring up... A, you. I think what you're bringing up is a good point, right? So it seems easier in maybe a low emotion negotiation. So maybe... You know, I was in sales for a long time, so I'm thinking about a sales negotiation. And then when it moves to, you know, maybe a spouse, right, talking about where we should go on vacation, like I could see that being more emotional or trying to negotiate with a teenager. But I also think, you know, thinking back several months ago around election time, thinking about vaccinations, right, where some people really believe in vaccination some people don't you have family members who are like let's all get together we don't care who's vaccinated and other fam- you know i mean i have had so many clients just tell me and share with me and friends that you know families are divided and there's so much divisiveness so what do you do in a situation where people are really stuck in their positions like take va- take the vaccine for example you know, what do you do when people were like, you know what, you have to be vaccinated to come to my house. And then other members of the family are like, why are you making such a big deal about it? How do you get past that?
1: So interestingly enough, we did a little a role play with this exact thing. Okay, we to play, you know, the auntie who is anti vaccine. And because you know, people want to know, how can I get along? How can I get along when someone has diametrically opposing views? Right. Right. And so I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you the process that everyone worked through. But I have to preface it by saying, if you are trying to communicate with someone who has diametrically opposed views, your goal should not be, particularly if it's a friend or relative, it should not be about, let me try to change their point of view. Your goal instead should be, even if you don't agree with them, I wonder what is making them think this way. So you want to approach the conversation from a very curious point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay, no judgment. So turn your judgment off. I don't care what crazy ideas they have. Turn your judgment off. Because if you walk into this conversation with judgment, it's not going to go anywhere, because the other person is going to feel like you're judging them because of your tone of voice, the type of questions you're asking all of this. So it's not going to work. So you have to go in with total curiosity. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask questions about everything that they're thinking, right? Like, So from what I'm understanding is I understand that you're not, you know, comfortable with getting vaccinated. Like, I'm curious to hear about the reasons and then they will tell you some information. Then you can ask more questions. You should mirror what they're saying. So you want to like repeat back the things that you're hearing And and then you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. So we did this role play and what was very, very interesting, even though the person was pretending, right? What was very fascinating is that as they role played and we got deeper and deeper into these questions, they started to realize they weren't quite sure where their own views came from. (laughs) Right. It was very interesting. It was a lot of sound bites they had picked up, you know, and then and then it ended up traveling into like things that they had values they had picked up as a child. Mm -hmm. And so then they realized like, oh, maybe like my values shouldn't be the way they are because they're stemming all the way back for 30 years and it was based on something you know that they realized is not really the case today and so what was very very interesting is that really let it was like a nice trail back to where are these values coming from and then for the person by themselves to realize wow like my values are coming from some antiquated place now they didn't exactly admit it and they didn't exactly come around but you could see these these little things happening where they started to realize oh, now I'm realizing why I think that and I'm not sure that I really want to stick by that. There's a glimmer of an opening, Mm -hmm. right? Of opening a conversation and maybe it will take multiple conversations to change their mind, but it's not about you imposing your values. It's guiding them through curious, curious questioning into their past of like where these values came from, why they think the way they think, where this is coming from. And if you go into a conversation with curiosity. And it's really so important to go with curiosity. A, it will take a lot more patience because you'll not have a quick conversation. It is quite a lengthy conversation, but you actually have the potential of changing that person's mind gradually because now you're going in a different direction. You're not fighting against them. You're trying to explore where these values and interests are coming from.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree with you. I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of families that probably need that advice, <laughs> especially now, right? As things are opening back up. And yeah, I, I just, I think what you're saying is so, so valuable. So you mentioned you talk about this in your course. Can you share with us a little bit more about the specifics of your course and what it entails?
1: Sure. So it's an eight-week class. You know, and you meet once a week for 75 minutes. So the next one starts in July and goes for eight weeks. And we meet on Mondays um, from one forty-five to 3 on Pacific time. And we cover, we have a beginning class as well as an advanced class. So in the beginning class, we go over like a lot of the beginning tactics. And so what I like to do is really spend a very small amount of the class, say 15 minutes going over a specific strategy or tactic. And then the rest of the time, I'll throw scenarios at you and then you will practice. And what's wonderful is that because it's a small group, people learn to trust one another. And I also have you learn by observing other people. Because how frequently do people get to actually watch other people negotiate? Yeah, not very frequently. And so you can learn by watching how other people handle negotiations, by watching their phrasing and say, oh, that's a really great phrase. I'm going to use that, right? And so we do that and then we do a debrief, always do a debrief at the end of it. So some days I may throw something impromptu on people because a lot of times negotiations are impromptu, right? They just come up out of the blue. The next thing you know, you're in a negotiation and didn't realize it. Or sometimes there are prepared negotiations where you know you're going to, let's say you're a manager and you want to present to your boss, hey, we need to spend X amount of dollars to buy this software for our company and here's why. So there's a significant amount of prep that has to go into that type of negotiation. Mm -hmm. And so certain weeks there's uh, like an hour's worth of homework to prepare for the negotiation. And certain weeks I'm like just come in and we'll do it. And the other thing I like to do is I like to tailor it to the participants. So if Natalie you came in and you said look today, Alice, I have something that like I don't know how to deal with it. I had an argument with my kids it kind of went sideways i'd love to know how to handle this better then we would talk about it and we would role play it great yeah and then someone else might come in and say i had to let someone go i had to fire them i don't feel like it went very well how could i have had this conversation better again i coach we role play and during the role plays i will be coaching in the chat so i will be letting you know like try this or say this or you know be more aggressive and that sort of thing so i'm coaching you while you're doing that and then you also get a chance to watch other people so it's a really wonderful way to practice 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 and also come in and say here are some of my issues like how can i fix it and get to role play it and i think it's also another thing i wanted to mention to your listeners is that role playing ahead of a big negotiation is critical to your success so if you take two people who are going to the same negotiation and one person has role-played that with a friend of theirs and the other person has just thought about it, uh, the person who has role-played it, they will be far more successful Mm -hmm. and the negotiation will go far more smoothly because of the fact that they have rehearsed it. Mm -hmm. You want to ask a friend to come in and you want to have that friend ask all the difficult questions that may come their way so that you are prepared with an answer When difficult questions actually do come your way in the real negotiation, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I can answer this question because I answered it yesterday when I was practicing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's super, super important. And so uh, the class also really emphasizes, you know, role play, role play, role play so that you get the words out of your mouth. You know, just like when you're in a play, my background's in theater when you're rehearsing, you're saying the words over and over again, right? So your mouth is used to it, your tongue is used to it. So that the words come out of you, like with a fluidity that it would not come out if you just go in cold and are negotiating and saying all these things for the very first time.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're alluding to is that confidence and that confidence is so important in it. And if you have role played it and it's fluidly coming out of your mouth, then that is what, when you say something confidently versus like, hey, I kind of want this promotion and I think I deserve it, you know, versus if you've rehearsed it, prepared for it, and you're saying it confidently, it just, it lands so much differently. So I love, I love everything you're, about your course. You and I have talked about it prior to this uh, recording and this interview. And what I love about it is, you know, you can't learn how to ride a bike by reading a book or watching a video. You have to learn to ride a bike by actually getting on the bike and riding it. And so, I love that your negotiation course is so applicable and timely to what people are, you know, going through in their lives, either with their families or at work. And I also love that you know you're working that out and they're having them practice and role play for those those situations, which is so powerful. And you and I talked about this prior. I would love, because I know a lot of my listeners have kids, maybe if you have any uh, words of wisdom for parents negotiating with teenagers uh, or even younger kids, just because I know that can be difficult for parents.
1: Absolutely. So I um, actually recently wrote a book called Negotiating with Your Kids, and it's on Amazon. It's a very short book. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you some tips, but I also wanted to talk about why that book is so thin. I did that deliberately because I know, because I'm a parent of two teenage boys. <laughs> and I know that, especially when you have smaller kids, you don't have time to read any parenting book.
0: It's like, <laughs> so true. You
1: know how many books I purchased and I read like, <laughs> I don't know, half of chapter one and it's collecting dust on my shelf all these years later. Yep. And so I actually wrote a book where there's like 10 tips and each tip is like one page. And so it's not a book that you're going to read cover to cover, even if it's only, you know, 30 pages long. It's a book where I want you to like, just read one page, read one page, practice it. That book is there mainly as a guide for you to practice the thing that I, because I don't want people to think I can read this book and now I'm an expert because that's simply not true. Like you said, Mm -hmm. can't read a book and be an expert on bike riding. Right. So I've made the book thin for two reasons. One so that you can actually read the whole thing, but two, so that you just read one page at a time and practice that tactic. And so one of the things that I think is extraordinarily effective, um, and I use it and it works every time. I've got a very stubborn 16-year-old who loves to argue, and I have a 13-year-old, and it works with both of them. Uh, Subsequently, also works with my boyfriend, (laughs) but is give two choices, right? So I always give two choices and I say, here are your choices. Now, they don't have to be choices that they like necessarily right but what happens is it cuts out the argument arguing mm-hmm. there's just no arguing when you say you you are empowered you have two choices and there's consequences attached to both one may be a negative consequence one may be a positive consequence however you know it works so a really quick anecdote if i've got a moment is that my son Had some friends over and they apparently turned the kitchen upside down because they had a a cooking party and he spent like four hours up till three in the in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. Cleaning the kitchen so that I couldn't tell it looked perfectly clean when I came home. The only difference was there was a mountain of dishes. And so when I went in and I asked him to to wash the dishes, I said, I need them done now because I'm cooking for someone else coming over right now. So these dishes have got to go. And his argument to me and I could tell this was going to be a spiraling argument was I just spent four hours cleaning. What I left for you, mom, is like nothing compared to like what I actually did for you. And you don't have a clue of how horrible the kitchen looked. And he said, I cleaned it so well. And so I said, you know, who, who's supposed to do these dishes than me? And he said, no. So I could tell this is going to go on and on for a bit. So I said, OK, great. I'm happy to do these dishes for you right now. I will go in there. No more argument. I will do the dishes. If I do them, you just can't have any more dinner parties with your friends. Or you can do the dishes now for me and you can continue to invite them. And he glared at me and he got up and he went.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Right. But I think what you're saying is so valuable because, you know, as a parent, you're empowering him to make a decision for himself. You're not you know, coming from that authority and control, like go in there and get the dishes done right now because I told you so. I never do that. Right. So many parents do that, though. And and what you did is you empowered him to like, hey, this is your choice, your decision. Choose what you will. <laughs> and, you know, as much as he didn't like it, he still had agency to choose. Yes. And I think that makes a world of difference. I, a world of difference. I completely agree with you. So, My podcast is all about taking insights and turning them into action. And so I like to provoke and invite my listeners to really take something that they heard from the podcast today and put it into action. So maybe one insight that you have that you would like my listeners to put into action from our conversation today that you would recommend. So
1: I would say step one, and and we didn't talk about it, I'm going to talk about it briefly now, and it's a really easy thing, but it's really step one. I challenge your listeners to become much better active listeners. And so by active listening, it means that you're not checking your cell phone, you're not reading text messages, you're not responding to an email, but you're like looking eyeball to eyeball at the person who's talking to you. And instead of asking lots of questions and all that stuff, just listen, just listen. Don't listen, um, waiting to respond, but open with an open heart. And just listen, because that is critical to everything else that I've been talking about. And that's step one to everything else I've been talking about. Because if you can't listen, then you can't do any of these other things. Mm -hmm. Because all, you know, asking questions with curiosity only works if you're going to listen to the answer. (laughs) Right. Right. Right? Yep. So I challenge them to try to become active listeners. And, um, you know, just see how long you can listen to someone where they're talking and you don't interrupt them. Try not to interrupt and wait till they're finished. And if there's silence, it's okay. Don't be afraid of silence. So many people want to fill the space. They don't want it to be silent. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. It's awkward. But actually live with that. And it's okay to have silence. It's a moment for everyone to process what they just heard. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. I was on, on a webinar yesterday and there was a gentleman speaking and he was talking about listening and I loved what he said. He said, listening is an act of caring and kindness and support. And he said it so in such a heartfelt way, like I felt it. And I really believe I I, I really do believe that it's such. And I think, you know, we're all guilty of being, you know, kids come in and like, hold on a minute, I'm busy, you know, but really when people are really listened to and Felt, it, it makes them feel so important. And it's such an underrated skill. I really do. I, I really believe that. Any last words of wisdom you have for my listeners before we close out our conversation today?
1: i say try the act of listening with your children, if you have children, um, because children aren't listened to very frequently. Mm-hmm. They're frequently being told what to do and directed and whatnot. And so the next time a child is really upset, instead of launching into whatever kind of dialogue that normally happens, take a moment, take a breath, and ask them, what's going on? Like what's happening? And why are you feeling this way? And then just wait. And you will be shocked at the magic that comes out of their mouth. And you will say to yourself, I had no idea my child felt this way. Mm-hmm. Because as parents, we forget to listen to them. Mm-hmm. We're so busy giving advice. Yeah. So busy giving them guidance that we forget to listen to them. So take those active listening skills and 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 you know try to listen to your significant other, try to listen to your children and you'll discover a whole world that you didn't even realize was there.
0: Oh, Alice, I think that's phenomenal. That's a great place to close out our conversation. I thank you so much for being here today. You delivered so much value in this conversation for my listeners. Um, I will have the link and the information to your course in the show notes. So, and your contact information so people can learn more about you, what you do and and your course. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for being here today. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks so much, Natalie. Of course. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today